If you would, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. If you have one of our pew Bibles, the blue Bibles, that begins on page 602. We have yet another song to be sung this morning. It's not a song that some superstar singer-songwriter has written that has just dropped uh, their latest album. No, this is a song of God the Father. He brings it to us here in chapter 42 of the prophecy of Isaiah. Hear now the word of the Lord, the song of the Father. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit. To those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. A light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, we acknowledge this. To be your word. You have indeed proclaimed it. You have told us of it. You have declared it to us. Even before it came to be. We know it's true. In all that it teaches. And we bow before you. Our Lord and our God. Would you by your spirit help us this morning. To understand the truth of this word that you would write it upon our hearts, that we would submit to it, be encouraged by it, strengthened and even comforted by it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't have to look far in this world for examples of ungodliness. They're all over the news constantly, almost 24-7. But it's even in our own hearts, in our own lives. 
and the injustices of a sin-ravaged world become apparent to everyone. What stands out this morning, though, in bold contrast to that darkness is the light of the glory of God. And as believers, we can testify to all who would hear that we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. But as we'll see here in a moment, it takes more than words to bear witness for Christ. What we have before us in Isaiah chapter 42 is one of four songs of the servant of the Lord God Almighty that are found in the prophecy of Isaiah. As scripture unfolds, we see these prophetic songs fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in chapter 42, in verses 1 through 4, God the Father sings about the Lord Jesus. And in verses 5 through 9, he sings to him of the mission assigned to him, a mission to bring God's truth to the entire world, a task which he will indeed fulfill. And it starts off, Behold my servant. Immediately we see here in the verses that follow that the father delights in the son. And the delight the father has in his son, Jesus Christ, is related to his character and to his accomplishments. As a servant, he is obedient to the father who commissions him. And he is upheld, supported, and led by the Holy Spirit. Now, all true prophets had the Spirit of God, but Christ has the Spirit without limitation. Isn't that what we see in uh, the Gospels as they proclaim Jesus' baptism at the River Jordan, the ultimate confirmation of His ministry by God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for all to hear. Indeed, the servant is equipped for his undertaking. He is upheld by the Father, and he will indeed prosper in his labors. He will bring forth justice to the nations. But what God wants us to see this morning is the how and the why that he does so. The Father's pleasure in his servant son, our Lord Jesus cannot be overemphasized here. We need to know the truth of this. The Father has pleasure in His servant Son. He delights in Him. Jesus Christ was God's chosen instrument in the work of redemption. In the council of eternity past, when God the Father and God the Son came together to establish the work of redemption, in view of the fall of man, the Lord Jesus Christ was the chosen instrument by which God decreed that He would redeem His people for Himself. The fact that Jesus chose to serve and that He's the chosen instrument of the Father tells us something of the depth of the love of God. And oh, how the Father takes great delight in Him because of it. 
Don't miss the importance of the reality that the Father so delights in the Son. The pleasure of the Heavenly Father is something we all long to enjoy. We want Him to turn His face toward us and set His countenance upon us and bless us. If you're like me, you look forward to the day when you stand face to face with him and you hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. But it's not just a future joy. The fact that we are even now in Christ assures us that the Father delights in us now. Have you ever stopped to think about that? God the Father delights in you because of Christ. The Father delights in us because He delights in His Son. Our acceptance with God is based on the fact that he is pleased with his son and the work of his son and united to Christ by faith. He doesn't just accept us. He embraces us. He welcomes us home. The father has become well pleased with us. Christ died on our behalf that we might be so delightfully accepted by the father. Take a look at verses 2 through 4. And we begin uh, here to see something of how the servant will serve. We're told that the Messiah will not be found shouting in the streets. By the way, this shouting that is spoken of here is not an authoritative proclamation. It says he will not be found shouting in the streets and it's speaking of quarreling in the streets. It's almost like something you would witness after some sports team has lost a game and the fans are out in the streets arguing and complaining of how unfair it all is. So we're told that the servant of the Lord will carry out his work without ostentation, without drawing attention to himself, but rather with humility, self-denial, and unpretentiousness. This is how the servant of the Lord will be recognized. This is how he will be known. So the character of the servant will be seen by his actions, not just his words. We will know the Christ by how he carries out his mission of redemption. The text here repeats again and again the theme of justice. He will bring forth justice. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will establish justice in all the earth. Justice is the principle of all the Lord's dealings with all of us. He blesses good and he curses sin without exception. Throughout the history of humanity, he blesses good and curses sin. He is unswerving in his justice. Like Abraham with Isaac, 
just when we think we know what justice is, God provides a substitute for us. A substitute that is given. However, it's not just the principle of wrath and justice that this text has in view. It's the provision that is made and what it proves. What it proves to us as absolutely true. If you look back in, at the end of chapter 41, the God of Israel calls on the people of all the other nations to bring forth their idols for a simple test. Set forth your case, says the Lord in verse 21. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm that we may be dismayed and terrified simple test but the idols the false gods are silent people turn back to their idols for comfort but they fail the test and god declares the final verdict down in verse 24 behold you are nothing and your work is less than nothing an abomination is he who chooses you in verse 29 behold They are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. But behold, my servant, he begins chapter 42. This court challenge that's presented in chapter 41 produces a very real consequence. And the decision of the court is the justice that is declared in chapter 42. And that justice is the proof that the Lord God of Israel is the one true God and all the idols are false. And it's the task of the servant to carry this verdict of one true God to all the world in word and in deed. The contrast was clear. The idols were silent. They were worthless. The result of their worship is the blindness, the captivity to error, and the darkness spoken of in verse 7 of chapter 42. This is the utter brokenness that the servant has been commissioned to restore. You see, our God saves. Nothing can stop him. The same Lord who stretched out the heavens puts that same power to work here. He is the maker of all men. All receive their breath from him. And now he will act in similar power to save them through the ministry of the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will bring light and sight and freedom to the captives. Notice the I statements in verse 6. They should give us comfort for they confirm this covenant of redemption. God the Father says to the Son, I have called you. I will take you and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. 
The Father in Christ brings reconciliation to the world. We hear about that more clearly in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It was planned from the beginning. Throughout the Old Testament, God repeated the promise of the one who would come to save, the son of promise. And in the fullness of time, he kept that promise. Well, some 700 plus years after the time of Isaiah, we see the passage fulfilled, not just in Mark chapter 3 that we read earlier, but in the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 12, which quotes this passage here in Isaiah uh, chapter 42. And in Matthew chapter 12, we see the same contrast between the God who truly saves and the false teachers who refuse to bow the knee. Remember how God had called the nations to have their idols do something, do anything to show the truth of their character, of their idols. Well, the proof was in the pudding and they showed just how detestable, how false they were as were all who followed them. In Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus of sin. And so they ask him if it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. Jesus tells them that it is, and then he demonstrates it by healing a man's withered hand, completely restoring it. Do they bow before him as Lord of the Sabbath, as the Son of God, the servant of the Father who has been sent to save? No. They go away and they plot to kill him. Matthew chapter 12, beginning verse 15, says this. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Can you see the contrast between this servant and the Pharisees and their false God? They vainly seek to accuse and destroy. But Jesus comes to heal 
to restore and to save. Jesus knew what the Pharisees were up to, so he intentionally, deliberately withdrew from them. He knew that it was not yet his time to die. It was not yet the time the Father had appointed for him to be delivered up. That would come, but not yet. And so he withdrew in light of his knowledge of their designs and in his knowledge of the mission to which he had been sent. He came to do the will of the Father, not to glorify himself. Remember that the servant would not quarrel in the streets or be pretentious. He would not break the reed that was already bruised or snuff out the faintly burning wick. With great tenderness and compassion, Jesus drew people to himself that they might know the salvation of God. He would come not to take for himself, but to be given as a covenant for the people and thereby bring true restoration and salvation. Even after the Pharisees left and Jesus withdrew, many people still followed him and he healed them all. True to his character, true to his calling, Jesus fulfilled Isaiah chapter 42. This is so important for us to understand, not so that we will have great ammunition for our next debate with unbelievers, not so we can just say that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but so that we can show the world the character of our Savior by how we live. You see, it takes more than words to bear witness for Christ. God wants all who bear the name of Christ to manifest, to show forth the same commitment to do the will of the Father rather than our own. To manifest tenderness and compassion towards the bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks in our lives. To pursue godliness in tangible ways. It's not simply something that's important for our own spiritual warfare. It's not only something that's pleasing to God. It's absolutely necessary to our witness to a watching world. It is what will stand in stark contrast to the darkness of this world and truly testify to the truth and reality of the one true God, the Savior of sinners. I suspect that in the church in America today, the single greatest obstacle to our evangelistic work is the lack of godliness in the people, in the congregation of God's people. Until we care seriously about the way God's grace changes our lives and we live differently than the world around us and we have different desires and hopes and dreams than the world around us, the witness of our words will be ineffective because people will see through that testimony and they'll see that our lives are not really changed. They'll see us as Pharisees seeking to manipulate to control, to accuse, and to destroy. But if, in our union with Christ and by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we live out the servant's testimony that the Lord our God is real and that He alone has the power to heal and to restore and to save, then as Scripture says, in His name, the nations will put their trust. All 
to the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the humble service of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving him as a covenant for your people, for showing us the way as we follow him. May our lives so reflect his character that others may indeed see and hear our heart's joyful cry that Jesus Christ is Lord. For your glory we pray. Amen. <laughs>